going to read from God's Word, and Judges chapter 6 to chapter 8 is a wee bit long to read. Those are actually the verses that contain the full story, but we'll maybe take a flavour of the story. Um, It's the story of Gideon, and I'm hoping that at least to some degree you are familiar with that story. So I'm going to begin, and we're going to move through some verses in each of those chapters, beginning in Judges chapter 6 and verse 1. Verse 1 says, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel, and because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them the dens which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. Down to verse 6. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. Down to verse 11. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was an Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash the Abizarite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. The Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. Down to verse 25. says, And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it. And build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock in the ordered place. And take the second bullock and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of that grove which thou shalt cut down. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was because he feared his father's household and the men of the city that he could not do it by day that he did it by night. Then into verse 7 and the first seven verses of chapter 7 continue the story and we read then Jerubbabel who is Gideon and all the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Harod so that the host of the Midianites were in the north side of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon the people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. 
Now therefore go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people twenty and two thousand, and there remained ten thousand. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet too many, bring them down unto the water, and I will try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, This shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee, and of whomsoever I say unto thee, This shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought down the people unto the water, and the Lord said unto Gideon, Every one that lappeth of the water with his tongue as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, every one that boweth down upon his knees to drink. And the number of them that lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, were three hundred men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the three hundred men that lapped will I save you, and deliver the Midianites into thine hand. And let all the other people go, every man, unto his place. And then finally through into chapter 8 in the first four verses. And we read, And the men of Ephraim said unto him, that's unto Gideon, Why hast thou served us thus, that thou calledst not, calledst us not, when thou went to fight with the Midianites? And they did chide with him sharply. And he said unto them, What have I done now in comparison of you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiezer? God hath delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb, and Zeb. And what was I able to do in comparison of you? Then their anger was abated towards them when he had said that. And Gideon came to Jordan and passed over he and the three hundred men that were with him, faint yet pursuing them. Amen. And we'll finish our reading there in verse 4 of chapter 8. Let's just pray once more before we consider God's word. Lord, we thank you for your living word. We thank you for the relevance of every part of scripture to our hearts and lives, even this morning. And I pray that as we are in your house before you today, that you will just Hush our hearts, humble our hearts to hear what it is you want to say to us, particularly this morning. We pray that there will be encouragement and help that will enable us to go forward with great confidence in you from this place to serve you and to do your will in the days ahead. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I think we, we would agree this morning that when we think of Gideon, we think of a man of valour. We think of a man who is one of God's great heroes. In fact, if you go through to uh, Hebrews chapter 11, you find the hall of fame, faith's hall of fame. And amongst those in Hebrews 11 is Gideon. He's strong, he's smart, he's victorious. And yet there's another theme in those chapters that we've read this morning. 
in chapter 6 and 7 and 8. We discover the theme of weakness. We discover that Israel is weak and we discover actually Gideon is weak. This man of valour, this man of faith is encompassed around about by weakness. Strength is an attractive quality. When we see it in a character or a person, see uh, a courage and a boldness, that's something that we are attracted to. Weakness, on the other hand, that doesn't seem quite so attractive. That doesn't sound like the sort of thing that we would want in our lives as part of our lives. Certainly not something that we would boast to other people about our weakness. But weakness is found in the word of God. Weakness is found here in these chapters of Judges. Weakness is there in the life of Israel on many occasions. What are we told? We're told in verse 6. Well, uh, in some versions it tells us that they were brought very low. In this version it tells me that they were impoverished. Their lives were not made richer because of the Midianites. Their lives were almost wiped out and uh, they're not in a position of strength. Gideon, he's in the wine press and if we'd read that he was in the wine press pre uh, pressing out the grapes or treading the grapes, well that would have been one thing but actually he's in the wine press and he's trying to beat out the wheat and to get rid of the chaff from the, from the wheat. And why is he there? He's there because he's afraid. He's there because he's hiding from the Midianites. He, he doesn't want to be found out by them and their raiding parties. And if all of that isn't enough to tell us that he's weak, well, he admits it himself, doesn't he? In verse 15, he says... O my Lord, wherewith shall I see if Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. That's his own confession. And then, of course, those verses we read at the end of, well, further down, chapter 6, verses 25 to 27, talking about the knocking down of Baal's altar, talking about the building of an altar to the Lord. Well, what do we discover? We discover that, yes, Gideon was brave enough to undertake the task, but he wasn't brave enough to do it by day. He was afraid of the men of the town, and so he did it by night. He did it under cover of darkness, and that's not really... There's something of wisdom there, maybe. I don't know, but... It doesn't really paint a picture of strength and braveness and courage. So our topic for this morning, just in case you're guessing, is this whole area of weakness. And I want to break it down into three points. First of all, I want us to think about something called initial weakness. Then I want us to think about necessary weakness. 
And finally, something that I've called unnecessary weakness. So, initial weakness. Initial weakness. The story begins in chapter 6, really, with a very telling verse. It says, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And of course, that phrase explains a lot of the weakness that they are presently experiencing. Their weakness is brought on because of their own sinfulness, because of their own wickedness, their own uh, determination to go their own way. And yet, of course, this story is lovely because it's tinged with God's grace, it's tinged with God's mercy. And even though his people are weak, God draws close to them. Ever experienced that in our weakness? God draws close. And uh, here in the middle of a very desperate situation, God commissions Gideon. And uh, it tells us in verse 14, the angel of the Lord commissions Gideon. And we find the angel of the Lord here in Judges 6 and later on in the Samson story. But uh, the angel of the Lord in verse uh, 14 says, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? You know, uh, we find within Scripture all sorts of moods and tones, but there's definitely a tone of irony there in Judges 6. When the angel of the Lord says, go in your strength, go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel. What is he speaking about? Nothing that we've seen tells us about this might. Uh, Even Gideon, at this point, doesn't have his eyes on the Lord. Even he is very unconvinced about any might that he might have in order to deliver the people from the Midianites. Of course, the thing which changes this whole situation around is the strength of the Lord, not the strength of Midian. It's the strength of the one who is sending him, the strength of the one who says, go in this thy might. You know, Gideon takes a little bit of convincing along the way, uh, but God is good, and God gives him the convincing that he needs. And I think that's one of the reasons I like Gideon, because he doubts, and then he doubts a little bit more, and he asks for a little bit more reassurance. But it's a turning point at this point when God calls Gideon, one who is utterly overwhelmed by weakness. And at this point, this is what I would call initial weakness. And it's not really so unusual. It's not really something that maybe is unexpected. And as we'll think as we go on, maybe something that is to some degree healthy, at least at the beginning. Might as well drink this water. I thought actually Matthew had left. He wasn't going to wait for the sermon when he exited from the platform, but he brought me a nice gift. I don't know what's going on in your life at the moment. Maybe you've been asked to take up a new role. 
Maybe you've been asked to take up a new role in your employment. Maybe you've been asked to take up a new role in church. And really, you're overwhelmed by that sense of weakness. And maybe people try to tell you, oh, you're not so weak. Well, actually, the reality is you probably are truly as weak as you feel. However, if God has called you to the particular responsibility, if God has asked you to undertake the task, then you can be absolutely sure that his strength, not your strength, but his strength will be sufficient in overcoming your inadequacy, will be sufficient to overcome your initial feelings of weakness. However, you need to be prepared to take your eyes off yourself. Gideon had to get out of the wine press. He had to stop concentrating on what the Midian, Midianites were about. He had to listen carefully to what the angel of the Lord was saying to him and for that promise that God would be with him. You know, initial weakness is to be expected, but it could be a very serious condition also. Because that initial weakness, if we allow it to overwhelm us and we do not take our eyes off ourselves and put our eyes on the Lord, well, it will paralyze us. It will stop us from moving forwards. And God's answer to to Gideon's fear and to Gideon's weakness is the standard answer that he, same as he gave to Moses in, in Joshua chapter 9. And we have it there at the end of verse 14. Have not I sent thee? It's the same for the disciples. That point in time when Jesus was being taken from them up into heaven, they were fearful because of his going. How are we going to manage without him? What does he tell them? He says, I am with you. You see, it wasn't just words. What a wonderful promise to have the presence of God with us. Maybe it means something to us. It often does mean something to us to have a family member or a friend stand with us in difficulty. To maybe go with us to hospital appointments. But when the Lord himself tells us, I am with you, that presence of God is our strength. There was nothing inferior on what God was promising You know, we can do a lot, we can come through a lot, not in our own strength, but in God's strength, when he stands with us, when he is present with us in whatever the task is that we've been called to. Of course, there's times when we don't feel his presence. Those times we need to remember that we're not a people who are guided necessarily by feelings. Scripture doesn't encourage us to feel God's presence, but it commands us to believe God's presence, to believe that regardless of what we're feeling, that he is truly there. So we have this initial weakness that Gideon faced, and it has to be overcome. Let's look at the second form of weakness, and I've called it necessary weakness. 
And this second type of weakness is introduced in Judges chapter 7 and in verse 2. God has to reduce the numbers of the Israelite army before they would go forth to fight the Midianites. There were 32,000 men, which certainly gave a great feeling of strength, I'm sure, to many. But actually God was going to reduce that number to 300 men. And you see, there's a second reality, not just is there often an initial feeling of weakness till we get our eyes off ourselves and get our eyes on the Lord, but there is a necessary type of weakness. If God is going to use us as his chosen vessels, he needs us to be weak. And perhaps he may have to make us weak. That's quite a a thought, isn't it? That sometimes when that weakness isn't naturally there, when we're continuing maybe to look at ourselves and maybe following our initial weakness have convinced ourselves, well, maybe I can do this alone. Maybe I do have the training. Maybe I do have the character. Maybe I do have the background. Here's a reality. God may have to make us weak. God may have to deal with that pride in our hearts. He may have to deal with that self-sufficiency. And uh, it's interesting, Gideon is commanded to reduce the size of the army. And he does begin that process. It tells those who are trembling, those who are doubting, those who are feeling weak that they should go home. And that was a normal process uh, in any battle when the Israelites would be fighting. Maybe it was a little bit strange, a little bit disconcerting to realize that it would reduce the number by quite so many. That 70% of those fighting men who were present would head home under that uh, release clause. But actually, although Gideon's the one who starts the reduction, God then takes over, doesn't he? Because he says to Gideon, take them down to the water, and this time I'm the one that's going to test them. You can hand over to me, and I will do the next part. And, of course, God reduces the army not from the 10,000, from the 10,000 that were left right the way down, not to thousands, but to hundreds, to 300 men. And who would have believed that 300 was the perfect number to show God's strength? It wouldn't have been my choice. But God actually, he's the one in charge of this process. He tells Gideon, you begin And then he says, bring them down to the water and I'll finish the task. And so it's it's not Gideon who's decided to reduce the number right to 300, but God who's decided. Alistair Begg, in one of his devotionals, he says this, Have you considered the possibility that one of the greatest barriers to your usefulness in serving God may actually be your own sense of of personal adequacy. Not inadequacy, but adequacy. He calls that devotion the joy 
of inadequacy. You wouldn't think that being inadequate would be a joyful experience. It would be perhaps something of a humiliating experience. None of us like to feel that we are inadequate. On Friday I was doing some training on psychosis as part of my job is to pass through the church in Kirkcubbin and maybe knowing about psychosis will be useful but the other part is dealing with mental health uh, as well and one of the symptoms of psychosis is often grandiose psychosis people have grand ideas about who they are and what's happening with them and why is that? Because somewhere in their past there's been trauma that has left them feeling inferior and weak and the opposite of their grandiose delusions. And none of us like that feeling of weakness. But sometimes that's what God needs to bring about. And so God wants his strength manifest in our weakness and God never weakens us simply to hurt us, simply to bring us down, simply to humiliate us. God's reasoning is also is always to give us courage, his courage, that we will go forward in strength, his strength, and that we will fulfill his purpose for his glory alone. And that often requires us to be made weak. And of course, we don't rely on the message that we take either. As a church, we hold out the word of God to the local community, the word of life. It's not our words that will give wisdom, that will bring salvation, that will fulfill God's purpose, but God's words, the power of the gospel. And we can be courageous when we go in the strength that God gives we can be courageous when we go in the power of the gospel and not our own words because we can rely on God's strength and we can rely on God's word. Very often the Apostle Paul amazes us by the things that he says and I'm quite sure that his readers, his listeners rather, were uh, surprised by what they heard. Well, his readers too, because he wrote it down, didn't he, for the Corinthian believers. Second Corinthians 12, verse 1, he says, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What an amazing declaration to make. You can head home here today feeling weak and it's not something to be ashamed of. It's not something that you need to hide away. It's not something you need to cover up. Because when you are weak, when you recognise your dependence upon God, then actually you are strong with a strength that you could never muster up on your own. Paul knew well his sense of personal weakness was forcing him to turn to God and to rely on him. And the feeling of weakness that he had was driving him to God. 
Oh, that we would be driven to God today in our weakness, that we would experience his strength. So there is initial weakness, there is necessary weakness, and there's an unnecessary weakness. This maybe seems a little bit strange, but it's there in these chapters as well, in chapter 8 this time. Chapter 8 and verse 1, we find this unnecessary weakness. Gideon is in pursuit of the uh, of Ziba and Zomunah, the kings of Midian, and right in the middle of finishing off this offence against the Midianites, we discover there's trouble in the camp. Verse 1 of chapter 8 says, And the men of Ephraim said unto him, Why hast thou served us thus? That thou, uh, when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites, thou calledest us not. They calledest us not when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites. People of Israel, or the people of Ephraim rather, took offence. Took offence that they had not been asked to fight first. So what did they do? They attacked Gideon. Maybe that surprises you that the people of God would take offence and that they would begin to fight with their leaders. Some things still do not change through the years. We're too quick to take offence and to cause quarrels amongst ourselves. It's not what Gideon needed. He needed a clear mind to be on the job. And it brought an unnecessary weakness to Gideon. And you know, when we fight amongst ourselves, we bring an unnecessary weakness into the camp. Sometimes in our churches, the teams that serve in church, they're already weak. They're small in numbers. But you know, we have that way of weakening them further by fighting amongst ourselves. And if I had money for every time that I've said this, from the front I would be rich. Attack from the enemy is the sort of warfare which, at least to some degree, we expect. But attack and complaint from within is something that we're rarely ever expecting. And the result is always the same. It doesn't help us. It doesn't encourage us. It doesn't build us up and strengthen us. It makes us unnecessarily weak. The work of the Lord suffers and the testimony of the Lord suffers. So how can we prepare ourselves against such a weakness? Well, there's three things that I would suggest that could perhaps help us to avoid this type of weakness. The first one, a very simple one, remember when this, that this happens. Expect it. Be expecting it. You know, the church is the only organisation where you must be a sinner in order to enter it. And so I suppose to some degree we should not be surprised when we bump into one or two sinners within the church. What I'm saying is this, it's inevitable in a sense that there will be tensions, there will be arguments in church life. And we need to be on our guard against these things. We need to be ready where it's possible to sidestep quarrels and disagreements. 
things that leave us at loggerheads with one another, things that leave us weak. And let's look to the Spirit, that the Spirit will guide us, direct us, helping us to stand against quarrels, helping us to walk in God's way. So be expecting these things in church. Secondly, pray that God will help you to react like Gideon did. How did Gideon react? Well, he reacts with a very humble answer, doesn't he, in chapter 8. said unto them, What have I done now in comparison of you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiezer? And he goes on to praise them for what they have done. And it's difficult sometimes when personal attacks come to stand back, to be objective, to give a soft answer, to not retaliate. Very often our reaction when folks, if we feel like folks have attacked us, is to retaliate back with anger and to, to seek to get even through our words, if not through our actions. We need to realise that very often people attack us when something is missing and when fear is in their hearts. And actually their attack may not even be against us. I'm always, always reminded of the disciples on the boat in the middle of the storm. You see, fear had gripped them. They were afraid. And so they weren't even really in control of their emotions. And they were missing the key fact. They were missing the key fact that the creator of the world was the one who was in the boat with them. The one with the power over the wind and over the waves to, to hush them and to make them still. And, you know, the devil always wants us to personalize attacks in church life. We sometimes need to just step back. We need to recognize maybe the fear that's in that other person, the facts that they are missing, and to give them a soft answer rather than to retaliate in anger. And thirdly, make sure that you're not the cause for any unnecessary weakness. You see, pride is something which can take a hold of any of us. Pride is at the heart of creating problems amongst God's people. You see, pride sometimes means that we hold on to issues when what we need to do is let go of those issues. Pride in our reputation, pride that we should not look bad, mean that we refuse to give any ground and of course, Satan will take that pride. He likes a foothold so that he can get a full hold so that he can work his purposes out. We're told, humble yourself before God that he may lift you up in due season. That's 1 Peter 5, verse 6. Remember the one who made himself of no reputation for your sake. Let go of disagreement. Let go of argument. Look and see if maybe the cause is yourself. You're the one that's pushing things on to full-scale warfare. Allow God to have his way in the situation. So I'm going to conclude. And I hope that this morning has not been negative in any way. I hope that as we look to Gideon, 
It's helpful for us to see that fear and weakness and trembling can be natural. But not if that's where we get stuck. Not if we don't overcome that. And the thing that will help us overcome is always to realise, is it God that's calling me to do this thing? He'll not call us to do something that we can't do. Do I feel adequate for what I'm going to begin next month? No, I don't. It's 14 years since I have been in a local church situation. The Ards Peninsula is not necessarily, necessarily an easy place to minister. It's a small congregation. There's part of me that says, no, I, I would rather not, thank you. I could still maybe find enough time to tour in Europe and set that aside. I don't think there'll be a great sense of glory go with the role. But God has called me. He's made it very clear that he's the one who has called me through his word, through circumstances, at every point. And when we realise that God is calling us and his strength is what we can move forwards in. And if our initial weakness drives us to rely on God, well then that is a good thing. Remember, sometimes God has to make us weak. Sometimes God has to bring us down. Sometimes God has to bring us to that place of dependency where we realise he's the source of all things. And he can do that in all sorts of ways. He's a sovereign God. And sometimes he make it clear to us we need to look to him. And of course that's what we should do. Unless I seek to avoid unnecessary weakness in God's work, in the fellowship of God's people. Let's not be a part of causing division or problems. That's what Satan wants. But for God's glory, let's avoid that. Weakness can't be totally just set aside. It's always there. We always sense our weakness in one way or t'other. But the one who has promised us his presence promises us that he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. And I looked on the internet for a very inspirational quote in which to end. And there were all sorts of things written by psychics and self-improvement authors. And I discovered what I should have known, that the best quote is in scripture itself. And it's Paul again, isn't it? He says in Philippians 4 verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Not sure what it is that's making you feel weak today, but I want to assure you, in his strength, you can do it. You can accomplish his purposes. Take him at his word. Move forward with him, and he will work on your behalf. Amen.